Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus. My name is Angela Samos, and I'm here with the most awesomest co-hosts on the planet, Dinesh Borges. How are you, sir? I am great. And how is uh, the most awesome co-host <laughs> in the universe? So that entitles oh, all the planets. I mean, oh, hey, man, yeah, you beat me. You, you beat me. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, um, thanks for everyone who is joining us. We're always delighted to have everyone on board. Yeah, we're. I feel like I say we're really excited for this episode's guest every single time but i feel like every time it's like somebody new and great and we learn something and and today we have jennifer mens dwyer who is on the she's going to correct my the title here but she's the deputy executive director for progressive maryland which is the the democratic committee for prince george's county correct sure I, in my uh, my day job i am the deputy executive director at progressive maryland which is a nonprofit that's all about building grassroots power and the power of everyday people and then in my elected capacity i am on the democratic central committee of baltimore county there we go there we go thank you very much for for correcting me <laughs> we had just talked about it and then i forgot uh, I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that I have a cold today, um, so I'm a little foggy. But so, well, thank you for for joining us. I don't know that we've talked to anybody from Maryland before, so so this is a, a good one. So why don't you start out by telling our listeners, you know, where you're from, what got you interested in going down the path of being politically active, and then how you ended up in the two positions you're in now, the elected one and then the nonprofit that you also work for. Sure. Yeah. I um, grew up in a very Portuguese part of the country up in southeastern Massachusetts in a little town called Seekonk. And then I went away to Maryland to go to college. And, you know, I ended up what really made me want to run was, you know, I grew up in a Democratic household. My grandfather came over from Portugal right after the Second World War, and he was able to get a job in a wire factory. And because that job was a union job, he was able to build a life for himself and for his family. And, you know, my life, my ability to go to college would not have been possible if he hadn't had this, this union job. And my grandmother as well, you know, worked in the same factory. And yeah, if it weren't for them, I, I, you know, everything, my life would have been impossible. And so I, you know, having grown up with this understanding of the importance of unions and fair treatment of workers. That was just, that was a, a set of values that I, that I grew up with, you know, and I was always told growing up that, you know, the Democrats are the party of, of the people and the party that works with, with unions and is for workers' rights and for the, the rights of everyday people. But more and more, I found as I grew up that it seemed like the party was falling off of those values you know, we've got a minimum wage that nobody can live on. Healthcare is not guaranteed, or at least healthcare that doesn't cause you to go bankrupt is not guaranteed to everyone. And, you know, we've got Democrats voting to, to bail out big businesses in times of crisis. But, you know, in terms of bailing out everyday people, it's a lot harder to get even small things. And so I wanted to run because I really want to bring the Democratic Party back to its values of 
fighting for everyday people. Like the the billionaires are fine. The multimillionaires, they're they're all okay. They don't need people fighting for them. They're good. It's the everyday people like like all of us who um, really need their government to work for them. Let me ask you a little a question before we dive into the political aspect of it. A little bit of a heritage question, if I may. So you said that your grandparents were immigrants, obviously the Mindish from Portugal. How was how were you connected, if at all, to the Portuguese American experience growing up in that part of Massachusetts? Oh yeah, I mean, I would say I grew up in a very typical Portuguese American kind of context. You know, my family spoke, my grandparents spoke Portuguese at home and they, you know, we lived two doors down from my, my grandfather's brother and his wife and my cousins lived down the street. And so I was just like surrounded by family all the time. We hung out all the time. We cooked a lot of Portuguese food, you know, a lot of sardines on the grill outside. And, you know, we went to all the festas. We did like all the whole thing, the whole thing. You know, I, I, I grew up, you know, so, um, I recognize now, like having moved away from that part of the country, how lucky I was to have had that kind of experience growing up. And that's really um, irreplaceable. Indeed. And do you think that those, you mentioned already about your grandparents working at a union job at a factory, how that shaped your household and your thoughts? Do you think that uh, some of those uh, traditions, the food, the family, the the, the conversation, sometimes easy, sometimes no, not easy, that Portuguese Americans seem to love to have on um, on a weekly basis when they get together or whenever they get together. Do you think that kind of connection kind of solidified who you are today? Definitely, definitely. And I, I, I come to understand that more and more as I go through life and now being a mom and raising my own children. Yeah, that 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 kind of experience of growing up in a, in a tight knit culture and realizing the importance of community has, um, you know, made me want to kind of expand those values and you know and, and help in a in terms of you know government being able to create more safety nets and more connection between people and like just the importance of everyone, you know, a community being able to work together that we can't, none of us can make it alone. You know, it's, it's community that is so important to, to getting, getting through life. I also wanted to ask you a question, if I may, Jennifer, on your, on your education, because it's fascinating. And uh, what, what drove you into a Latin and ancient Greek uh, studies at uh, University of Maryland? Because, uh, I think more people should do, <laughs> coming from the humanities, I think more people should do Latin and ancient Greek. Not enough of us do, but what gave you that interest? And talk a little bit about your process all the way, as it was said here, while you're, of course, uh, working on your PhD and doing some of your studies that you got involved, uh, the wonderful story about the uh, Walmart Super Center that uh, you and a group of in the neighborhood were able to stop. So, but um Let's dive in, if you don't mind, a little bit. What you? Why did you choose that? And tell us a little bit about your educational uh, uh, career. Sure. Yeah, I just, for as long as I can remember, since I was a really little girl, you know, I always loved the ancient world. I was just fascinated by all things like Egyptian and Greek and Roman. And, you know, back in those days, they had VCRs. And I remember going through the TV guide, which was like, you know, the paper that came every Sunday that told you what was going to be on TV. And I would comb through it and, you know, find any documentaries about anything having to do with the ancient world. And I would set up my VCR to like record 
So that way I didn't miss anything that happened while I was at school. And then, you know, I'd spend a lot of time on the weekends just watching a lot of documentaries. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to study Latin in high school and I was just like, I just love this. I just was fascinated and wanted to, um, at that point, go to graduate school and become a professor so I could, you know, to share about the the wonders of the ancient world and, you know, these fascinating cultures and people um, and stories with, with other people. And it was right around the time where um, I just wrapped up with my master's and was getting into the PhD track when I received a notice from the county that I was living in that Walmart intended to build a 24-hour supercenter 150 feet behind my house. And I was living in a, you know, in the suburbs, like, so it didn't really, wasn't a place you would think that there would be a, a big Walmart, like literally that close to people's houses. And, you know, it was my first house and I was just, you know, so excited to be a homeowner. And then it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to put this big thing right behind your house. And having that that union background and being just very um, passionate about workers' rights and and treating workers fairly, I was just horrified that of all things, you know, they they wanted to put a Walmart because um, mm-hmm. I you know I feel like for that um, you know, the family that owns Walmart, they've got billions and billions and billions of dollars, and many of their workers just struggle to survive and get by, and I you know, I think that's really wrong. So I um, ended up, I was like, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what to do. I mean, I didn't have any kind of real political background or anything. And so I literally just Googled how to stop Walmart. And then I found out about these um, protests that were going on in DC. And I got connected with a, a group there that connected me with a um, labor union that gave me some pointers on like, okay, you want to stop Walmart? Well, you got to get to knock on your neighbor's doors and you got to tell them what's going on. You got to bring them out to public hearings. And, you know, I had no idea about any of these things. And I, at first I was just like, you know, being someone that is more introverted and thinking like, okay, I'm going to be a professor. Like I'm going to sit in the library and read books now, you know, being that kind of person it, and then being told like, okay, if you want to stop Walmart, you have to like go talk to a lot of people that you don't know. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but I figured I'd try. So I talked to my next door neighbor first. I figured at least I know her a little bit. So we'll kind of just, you know, see how this goes. And turned out she didn't want the Walmart either. And I was like, okay, do you know your neighbor next door over from you? Like, can we go talk to her? And and she said, yeah, sure. I went to talk to her and she didn't want the Walmart either. And I was thinking, okay, well, if the three of us don't want it. Maybe, you know, maybe other people are going to support this too. And so I, you know, I was like, all right, well, let's just like knock on our, along our block and and see what people think. And it turned out like about 80% of the people that we spoke to were against it. And over the next couple of years, that was how I got my introduction to community organizing and how local and state government work and processes around like land use and, you know, how, how state government structured, you know, I got a real education as I learned how to build grassroots power with my neighbors. And um, it was a very long, it's a very long story. You know, it was a couple of years where, you know, we knocked probably about a thousand doors. We had a petition going. We ended up talking to the local press and 
our elected officials, you know, got involved and, you know, a number of them were super, super helpful and supportive. And, you know, ultimately after a couple of years, the project was stopped and, you know, it was, we were really excited because, you know, it felt like, wow, like if our community coming together can keep a Walmart out, like what else can we do? Like what other problems can we tackle? And that, that was how I first got into community organizing. And I ended up getting a job with the labor union for a couple of years as an organizer. And uh, from there, I went on to work at Progressive Maryland, which is where I've been. It'll be seven years in March. And I just, you know, I just, I love being able to share with communities and other people how to, like the skills to be able to build grassroots power and to kind of pull the levers of, of power for the kinds of changes that they want in their communities. Because there's, you know, all kinds of issues that impact different, you know, neighborhoods and county level and state level. So just sharing with people those tools to fight for and to win the changes that they need for their communities is just something that I'm very lucky and and happy to be able to spend my time doing. That's a a very, very, very different path than being the university professor, correct? At the teaching <laughs> Latin and yeah. uh, and Greek, but uh, but fascinating. So as you got involved with Progressive uh, Maryland and you found out some of these other opportunities and some of these other ways to empower people, it seems like sometimes in the political world, because of the 24-hour news cycle and everything that we're bombarded with uh, from social media to regular media, et cetera, that people, uh, when they associate politics and they associate the power in the political world, a lot of times we just associate it with that person who is the congressperson or the senator or the president or a cabinet member or even at a state level government. But there is a lot of work and a lot of great work as a student of the unions that I've been. Also, there's a lot of work that's done on an everyday basis by groups like Progressive Maryland and others as well that uh, sometimes goes unseen and unheard. But this is where the nuts and bolts comes together, correct? Yes, definitely. Definitely. So much can be done at the local level. I mean, even town councils and city councils, county level and state level, so much can be done that right now is very difficult at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, states can, they can raise their own minimum wages. Um, There's been a couple of states that tried to even pass um, single payer healthcare plans at the state level. So there's, you know, a lot of these issues that folks are, are struggling with, with winning at the, at the federal level really can be tackled at the local level. And so it's, you know, I think it's, it's very important for folks to um, you know, get to know their, their local representatives and really don't be afraid to be in touch with them about, you know, whatever it is that, that people need, your families need, your communities need really, you know, working with your, your local folks to try to make some changes because it's, it's amazing how much can be done at the local level. Yeah, I just wanted to say that your story of, you know, Googling how do you stop Walmart and then what the end result was is quite inspiring for someone who said that, you know, you had no idea where to start and then it snowballed into this fantastic effort. I, I hope people are listening and thinking that, you know, if the thought ever crossed their mind, I don't know how to do that. I would never be able to do that. That <laughs> this story itself is enough to inspire them to to take the next step because if we love where we live and we we want to see our our town or our city either change in a certain way or stay a certain way, right? Like we don't want to have it taken over by 
big box chain stores, then, you know, we have to do our part. What would you say was, uh, I mean, maybe the first challenging thing was, like you said, you're an introvert. So just going out and talking to people was challenging. But what were some of the roadblocks that you hit that you and your fellow organizers had to overcome? Because I think that's can be discouraging, right? When people start down the path and then they hit some roadblocks and then they just give up. So what would you say some advice to folks who, you know, maybe have some ideas or are working on something and then they're, they're kind of hitting roadblock after roadblock. What would you say to them? I would say just not to give up. I know there were a lot of points in our fight where folks that were maybe more, you know, in air quotes in the know than we were, you know, told us like, ah, you know, there's just no way to stop this. And, you know, it's it's not possible because of like this legal reason or that thing or, you know, whatever. And, you know, we could have bought into it, but we didn't. We just said, well, we're going to have to find a way around that or we're just going to keep pushing. And it ended up working out. So just, you know, don't give up even when people say it's impossible, even if it's really hard you know, don't give up. And always, um, it can be overwhelming to look at dealing with a big issue if you're on your own. But the more that you invite others to work with you on on an issue, the more doable it becomes. So, you know, always reach out to others and, and build that network. And I'm curious, the trait of our community has been to work hard, stay low on the radar, don't cause a problem, just be good citizens, pay your taxes, have your job and, you know, don't cause a fuss. And so I wonder, you know, did you talk to your parents about like, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing to keep Walmart out of our neighborhood and kind of what their reaction was. And then further, are we seeing, or are you seeing a shift in how maybe the newer generations are not staying so quiet and getting more involved and you know what does that mean for our community and how can we help to i guess continue encouraging that and convincing more people to get involved kind of a multi-part question there <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm glad that you're bringing that up because that that was very much how i was raised too is like stay low on the radar don't make a fuss I remember once a a girl came by with a petition, something about like the Arctic, like, you know, saving the polar bears, like something very innocuous. And my family was just like, no, scram, you know, (laughs) and I was like, what's going on? And they were, you know, they were like, well, that's, that's, you know, you don't sign your name on anything political. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, So, you know, I, I, I think um, that's definitely changing with folks that are, you know, second generation and third generation now. And it's really important because when a community is not represented within local government, then the needs of that community can be ignored or or not met just because people don't know what the needs are. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's it's very, very important for anybody from any community to to have um, representation within their their local and, and, and state government you know, can make a big difference in terms of resources. Like I can imagine that had there been more um, access to these kinds of elected positions for like the first generation 
or of, um, you know, Portuguese Americans, maybe there would have been more supports in school for kids who went home and maybe their parents didn't speak or read or write English or Mm -hmm. um, just things of that nature that could have like improved educational outcomes and, you know, things like that, more access to um, different services in, in Portuguese as well as in English. So, you know, it's, it's very, very important. Representation really matters a lot. And even like for me growing up, like I never, ever thought that I would run for office because nobody that looked like me or came from my community was in office that I, that I knew of, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's wonderful now. I, you know, I've heard about it, you know, a number of um, young Portuguese people, Portuguese American people that are, you know, running for office in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. And really, you know, it, I just feel so good seeing that and knowing that there are young Portuguese American kids that have people that they can look up to and can see that, that, you know, this is a a possibility for them. Indeed. Indeed. And I wanted to ask you about that, Jennifer, because indeed, uh, as Angela mentioned, it's an inspiring story to go from a question of something that you don't want to happen to get it organized and to get involved and, and that drove you in a different direction than you originally were thinking for your career. And this one, certainly one of giving and, and serving others. How, uh, how, what was the process to getting elected to the uh, Central Democratic Committee? Because um, that is another area that we're lacking, even in states like uh, California and Massachusetts and Rhode Island and somewhat New Jersey and Connecticut where, with large Portuguese-American populations. And we do have some people elected here in California. We have a good number for such a large state, but we don't have a big number of folks that are involved in party politics, where lots of the decisions are made on a daily basis. Uh, You know, people's faces that sometimes we don't see on the news all the time, although in the Central Committee people we do, but not as much as we see the local congressman or the state representative or the state senator or even the governor, etc. So tell us a little bit about your process from your, as you called it, your day job with Progressive Maryland to your elected position. And um, how did you get involved in that and what drove you to uh, get you know through the process and basically run for an elected position with the Democratic Party? So I, I'd say the biggest hurdle was just believing I could do it. And then I it took me some time to decide to jump into jump into the race. You know, I was thinking I was just doubting myself a lot like, oh, you know it's hard <laughs> like you know especially working at a um a nonprofit that does you know political stuff as well like you know I, I've seen what people have gone gone through to run for office and so I was like I don't know if I can and I was like all right well I'm gonna I'll just try and you know from there it was really just a process of um talking to voters so I spent you know quite a quite a fair amount of time just out on the doors, listening to people, hearing about what their issues were and their concerns were. And, you know, we were, I think, very, very much on the same page with a lot of folks about, you know, the Democrats are not really doing everything that they should be and could be doing to fight for everyday people and fight for the, you know, wages, healthcare, like just these very basic kinds of issues. And, you know, I, I not, um, probably 700 or 800 or something like that. Not, not a, not a ton in the scheme of things, but like, you know, for a local race, a, a good, a good number. And I just, yeah, talked to, talked to folks, heard about what was, what mattered to them, 
and, you know, asked, asked for their support and it ended up working out. And, you know, I had to, there, I had to learn, learn some of the ropes of, um, you know, there's always like these, uh, political like detail, you know, have to set up a bank account and you have to learn how to file, you know, to be a candidate, you know, so I had to do a little bit of learning around those things, but it, it actually wasn't as hard as I thought, you know, like I was, when I was considering like, you know, should I get in? Should I not? I don't know. It's going to be really hard. Once I went through the process and I was like, oh, this was easier than I thought. Like this is, this is doable. This is doable. So, you know, I would just encourage anybody that wants to, you know, is thinking like, oh, you know, I think I, I've got something to bring to the table here, but you know, I don't know if I can, or you totally can, you totally can, you know, it, it takes, it takes work and you just take it one day at a time, but it is, it is doable. Uh, so as someone who is part of the machine and the democratic party uh, by being in an elected position with a central committee, and also you work with progressive Maryland are the parties, both parties, in this case, of course, the Democratic Party that you're part of, the Republican Party as well, and even third parties are kind of non-existent, as you know, as well as I do in America. But are the political parties uh, kind of going away from the everyday concerns of citizens, other than maybe sometimes we see those um, those social issues that cause, you know, uh, anger on both sides. But other than that, the meat and potatoes, the those two basic things that you mentioned, um, which is, you know, livable wage and healthcare and education. Do we focus enough uh, on those issues? I don't think either party does. I think when you get to the federal level, it's not all that shocking that there isn't such a huge difference between how Democrats are voting and how Republicans are voting when you consider that they have a lot of the same donors. Like by the time you get to that level, big corporations and millionaires and billionaires, it's the same people giving out money to both parties. And so you end up with two parties that don't behave all that differently. At the local level, I think it, it's much it's much different and it's more possible to pass really not even progressive, but just, you know, policies that are rooted in the needs of everyday people. It's a lot more possible, I think, to do that, you know, state and state, city, county kind of government, because the, the influence of big money isn't to the same level. But yeah, I mean, both parties, it's, you know, you see all this yelling on social media about this and that, and it's, you know, not what either party is supposed to be about. And you know, Democratic Party is supposed to be the party of the people. And, you know, I think that the party can do a, a better job of recentering the discussion on these everyday issues that people actually care about. When I go out and knock on doors and talk to people, like people are worried about how to pay their bills and like that there's no affordable place to rent and that, you know, wages are not matching inflation. And that's what people really care about when, you know, you go and, and knock on someone's door. And definitely both parties would be better off if they focused more on that. Indeed. Yes, I, I think both Denise and I would probably very much agree with that, even though we're a little bit uh, opposite in terms of not a little bit, we're political quite leanings. A bit. But, um, not a little bit, Angela, we're quite uh, a bit. We're I, we, unfortunately, opposite, we are way on opposite. <laughs> But being an opposite ends is good because that's what dialogue is all about. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, you know, Denise, one of these days, 
maybe one of these days we'll just have to do a, a podcast of just you and I, and we'll just go down the list of issues and see where we stand. We'll see how how far apart or how close we are on different things. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be certainly interesting. I think I'm I'm more on Jennifer's camp, as you know, but and and everybody in America knows that reads Portuguese newspapers. But I know that <laughs> right. we I know that we'd like to. Uh, of course, uh, we're up on our time. And um, Angela, if we can hear you, maybe the the last question uh, when it comes to getting others involved. Yeah, just if you have any advice, and you've already given some throughout the conversation about you know not giving up and uh, you know just believing that you can and things like that. But any other bits of advice to close it out for anyone that's either thinking of getting involved or thinking of you know they might want to pursue a career in in politics or community organizing any any thoughts yeah just the biggest thing is believing that you can because you can you really can you can do it and um that is that is the biggest hurdle and i think for women in in particular you know i'm i'm a mom you know so i had all the thoughts of like oh but like my kids and my laundry and you know the cooking and you know all these kinds of things you there's there's always a way to to achieve achieve balance um and really like i guess don't talk yourself out of what's what's possible and it's it's really it's it's amazing how much of it is really about believing that you can it's amazing what you can achieve when you believe that you can achieve things and, and one last question also, Jennifer, basically on what, you know, Angela and I were just kind of chit-chatting about people on opposite ends of the of the, of the the political spectrum, whatever that might mean nowadays, because it's a lot more about yelling about different things that sometimes don't mean anything to one's life. Do you think that there are people on both sides of the aisle that are willing to learn and to listen to others if we just turned off some of the noise machines that we're making that are that are uh, so prevalent in society today. In other words, some of the doors that you knocked, maybe you know, maybe some people didn't have exactly the same progressive thoughts that you did, but they're willing to listen. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyday people absolutely are willing and want to have just very rational kinds of conversations about like how how do we move forward on these issues? Because it doesn't matter. Somebody could be Republican or a Democrat. Everybody's worried about about their jobs, about healthcare, about education. I mean, it's the same problems. It's just about how do we solve them. And I I do think that people, you know, want to work together to find solutions that make sense for everyone. It's just you know the media and you know sometimes some of the national figures that are just trying to trend on twitter or whatever it is that they're they're up to that doesn't really represent like where everyday people are at and i've had plenty of conversations with republicans you know trump supporters it's people people are definitely willing and, and capable of having these kinds of uh conversations and trying to really reach solutions so even though we're polarized in some ways because of these national figures and even statewide figures. Do you think that there is still room for dialogue? Obviously, one always has to hope that there is, but we're not that polarized that yet. I mean, there is some room for people to get together and discuss ideas. Absolutely, there is. Absolutely, there is. Yeah, social media, it's not, it's not very representative, I don't think, of how everyday people are 
thinking or feeling or um, the kinds of conversations that they actually want to have. That's very hopeful. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. And on that note, just want to really thank you for your time, Jennifer. I think this has been a great conversation. I think maybe one of our most inspiring conversations that we've had in a while. So I hope that those listening either themselves are inspired or feel compelled to share this podcast episode with some young people in their lives that maybe are thinking about getting involved and and you know are looking for some inspiration that push right to to get them to take action and actually take the step to get involved uh, run for office volunteer for a committee what have you do whatever so thank you very much Jennifer your your path is has been really a very cool one I want to use the word inspiring again I feel like I keep using that word but it's true and we hope that this isn't the last time we we hear from you. We'll have you back to see what other big box chain store you've stopped in its tracks uh, in a few years, and then any other um, you know big issues that you've you've helped to to push through and remedy. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. Thank you both. I I really enjoyed talking with both of you. Excellent. And we uh, wouldn't have this podcast if it wasn't for our listeners. So thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us for another episode of Politicus. If you have any questions or comments or would like to suggest a guest, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. If you found this conversation valuable, please subscribe to the podcast channel, Palcus podcast channel, and uh, share this, the, the channel with others so that we can all be part of the conversation and, and drive more uh, awareness and conversation around these topics. And uh, if you have a moment, please leave a review on iTunes and that will help make this podcast channel more discoverable by others who are looking for podcasts around the Portuguese American experience. And uh, with that, thank you again very much. Thank you, Denise, as always. Thank you. And thank, thank you, Jennifer. And until next time, thank you very much. Adeus. Thank you for listening to Politicus the official podcast of PALCUS, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. PALCUS is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about PALCUS and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus.